All right, here we are. Welcome to our global studies review session. The global test for the transition exam is Monday, June 3rd at 8 o'clock. I am Mr. Monaco from the Charter School of Applied Technologies. And I am Ms. Sullivan from West Seneca West High School, but my students will be taking their exam June 20th. Yeah, yeah. So we got a little bit of a difference here, but don't worry. All the peoples, all the stories are the same. For my exam on Monday, June 3rd at 8 a.m., there are 28 multiple choice. We have a couple of uh, constructed response sets and then only one essay. For everyone else at West Seneca, you guys are getting ready to write two essays with some DBQs. But it's going to be great. If you're following along with us, we're going to be using the review sheet from Mr. Monaco's class at CSAT. If you want to follow along and fill it in, I have extra copies in class. I've also forwarded the copies to Miss Sullivan. Is it Miss Sullivan? It is Miss Sullivan. I didn't know if the kids knew you were married or not. <laughs> they do. She's trying to defeat the patriarchy. <laughs> I am. Yeah, you guys can Google that. <laughs> Although you probably talk about it in your class, don't you? I don't know. I'm pretty cool about it. <laughs> All right, so if you're following along, it says 10.1 at the top. You'll also be able to follow along at this recording. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different ways you can listen to this. We are on Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Anchor. We are under the name Gentleman's Society. It's a big yellow logo with a, uh, with a bow tie on it. The previous recording was MAGA vs. Black Lives Matter. So give that a listen to if you're looking for something extracurricular. <laughs> Why are you laughing? We got a lot of positive responses to that. I agree. I listened to a good chunk of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let's begin. The very first topic, the Mughal and Ottoman Empire. Ooh. The Mughal. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just start filling it in. What do you know about the Mughals? Where are they from? Big, uh, well, we got uh, Mughals are from India. That's and right. The Ottoman Empire, of course, being the crossroads of the world, smack dab between Asia, Europe, and Africa. Yeah, that's three different continents. Which means if we pop right over to trade, if we know that they are smack dab in the middle of the old world and a con- and an island, they must have a lot of trade. trade. Oh, that's great. T raid. <laughs> That would have been my rapper name if I was a global rapper. T Ray. T Ray. You guys, if you guys hear the farting noise in the background, there's like, there's a small child. It's not like me or Miss Sullivan. So if you're filling in the names of the empires underneath Mughal, you would have written in India. Underneath Ottoman, I like to write in either Turkey or just Med Sea. Mm-hmm. Eastern Mediterranean. Eastern Mediterranean region. What they are known for is trade. So if you go over to the very last column, since we already brought that up, for the Mughal Empire, I would have written in that they trade so much because India is a peninsula. Geographic feature surrounded by three sides of water. Pretty nice, right? And then, of course, the Ottoman Empire location on the Med Sea, which famous city? Istanbul, not Constantinople, been a long time gone, Constantinople. Do kids know that song anymore? I always say play it for my freshmen. We play it for the freshmen, we don't play it for the sophomores. Yeah, they're too cool. Yeah. Anyways, you can write in, would they write in Constantinople for the Ottoman? No, the Ottomans were Istanbul, but what you'll see usually on the test is Eastern Mediterranean Sea or the Middle East. Yeah. That's how they refer to it. 
The two other ways you might hear about them, religious tolerance and political organizations. We'll just go backwards. Let's start with political organizations. They both have a similar one, an absolute monarchy, meaning their power is handed down hereditarily. The one that you may need to know from the Ottoman Empire, one of my favorite absolute monarchs of all time, Mr. Sullivan, do you know? He's no. magnificent. I'm shaking my head, no. All right. Suleiman the Magnificent. Uh, but you do have to know that they were handed down hereditarily. They are absolute monarchs, same as king or queens like Louis the Fourteenth or Thirteenth or Twelfth or Eleventh or Tenth or any of the Louis before him. But let's get on to the big idea now with religious tolerance. You will also see in regards to political organizations, sometimes they say centralized power. Basically Ooh. meaning there was no one else with power but them. Do we do expanded territory too? Ooh, they mm. get wild here. Mm. Yeah, they like to centralize their power and expand their territory. Knowing, though, that they did have centralized power, no one else had power, it was quite impressive that they were religiously tolerant. In yeah. a time period in Europe when Christians were killing, Protestants were killing Catholics, and Catholics were killing Protestants, the Mughals and the Ottomans both were tolerant of different religions living under their rule. You just had to pay a tax, right? Correct. Under the Ottoman Empire, you did. I don't know about the Mughals, to be What honest. do you think they called the tax? In the, the Ottoman Empire, it was called, it started with a J. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, I can't think of what it's called, though. You will never be upset. But if you do, sorry. Jihad tax? No. Jewelry tax? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of it right now. Well, a bunch of good teachers we are. <laughs> so if you were filling in religious tolerance, for India you would write in Hindus and Muslims. Um, and for the Ottoman, we would put limited tolerance, but mostly in tax and all that stuff. Underneath, there were two questions that kind of transitioned into the next part where we go into Japan. And I asked, how did the Tokugawa shogunate attempt to unify and centralize Japan? Anybody? Anybody? I know. Alrighty then. Okay, so the Tokugawa shogun, they're leftovers of feudalism. Yes. However, the shogun, similar to the Mughals and the Ottomans, the shogun had total power and checked his nobles who had power. You really don't need to know that, though. Um, all right. And actually, both the Tokugawa in Japan and King Louis at the Palace of Versailles, going Ooh. down to our second question. Yeah. You really got thrown off there. I did get thrown off there. Okay, so why did they build these? Really, why are you going to live in a giant house or drive an Escalade? To show that you're wealthy and powerful. It's like MTV Cribs. Does that show still exist? No, they don't know that show anymore. All right, well, there used to be a show where famous people would would show their homes. And they're really no different. No, they really aren't. But if you were looking at what you should be writing to fill that in, for the first question with Tokugawa Shogunate, make sure you have the feudal system with the little pyramid. And you wanted to note that shoguns, S-H-O-G-U-N-S, had all the power and limited social mobility. And of course, why do people build big homes? To show how much power they had. Hot starts. Who's ready to go down there and compare the Tokugawa and the Mughals? Ooh, who? Who doesn't? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> if I were taking notes on this sheet, I'd make a little arrow from the word Tokugawa pointing down. And what I would put about them is that they closed off Japan to foreigners. They like to isolate themselves. And if I were going to write down an arrow from the Mughal Empire, they were open to foreigners because 
when you live in an amazing peninsula that's surrounded by three sides of water, you're just bound to, what's my rapper name? T-Raid. Trade. Thank you, Balake. <laughs> now, the Tokugawa being isolated, guys, is really important when we get later to Japanese history with the Meiji Restoration. <laughs> because later, the Meiji Restoration is going to open Japan to trade. So usually if you see a question, it's that the Tokugawa was isolated, kept foreigners out. But later on, the Meiji government ended up opening up trade to foreigners so they wouldn't turn out to be like their big brother china who was addicted to dope and getting cut into spheres of influence wow hot start <laughs> that was all of global two in two minutes right there <laughs> i could i could do this all in half an hour should we do it <laughs> no i'm going for like two hours <laughs> just kidding Underneath, we're going to ask you to describe the geographic context that led to the rise in power of the empire shown on the map. You'll see a small map, and it says Russian Empire on the top, Ottoman Empire on the west, and then moving towards the east, the Safavid Empire, the Mughal Empire, and the Qing Empire, or should I say dynasty. <laughs> Dynastic cycle? Never mind, that's global one. But when they ask for geographic context, it's good to have an understanding. What it's basically asking is, how did the land, location, and climate affect the way those people live? And of course, all of these empires are surrounded by one major similar geographic feature. Anybody? Anybody? I know. Let's hear it. Water. Hey, H2, oh yeah. Water for trade, all right? And if you really wanted to get crazy, you could throw in that this led to cultural diffusion. Ooh. Ha! Hot damn. More global one. More global one. All right. So that should conclude our first page, The World in 1750. We're going to be moving on now to the next one, The Enlightenment, no, 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 Revolutions no, no, no. and Nationalism. Which is a major turning point, something that the CSAC kids will see on their test, possibly, in the CRQ portion. A turning point represents any major change in history. And if you could look at this whole first page of your packet, it's all about absolute monarchs having total power. By the time you get to the second page, people are now beginning to question that power. Well said. Thank you. Let's start off with some main characters. First, my main man, J-Lo. Just Johnny from the block. <laughs> you need to star him. This dude shows up all the time. So if you're a, if you're a CSAT student, that's an R with a circle for <laughs> regents. We don't do stars. So let's start with John Locke. Of course, he writes an extremely famous book called The Two Treatises of Government. And you are responsible for knowing the name of the book. But more important than the book are the ideas inside of it. And the biggest idea to come from John Locke, Natty Rights. Natural Rights. And a One. way to remember this, John Locke was no loser. Life, liberty, land are the three natural rights you need to I know about. I love learning through alliteration. Locke, no loser. Life, liberty, land. When we are all born screaming naked babies, we are born with these three things. They are God-given rights. The government cannot take them from us. And what do we do if the government tries to take them from us, Mr. Monaco? Revolution! We overthrow them, <laughs> cut off their heads, and say bye. It's been real. Adieu. <laughs> I said goodbye in French because it's going to lead to the French Revolution. Ding. I bet I get hired at West Seneca after this. <laughs> 
All right, let's go down to two of my favorite Franck Enlightenment philosophers, the Baron de Montesquieu and Jean-Jacques Rousseau. I got a good French accent. Nice. I've been practicing. Mm-hmm. Let's start with Baron de Montesquieu. He writes a book, The Spirit of Laws, but inside of that book, he comes up with two monster ideas, the separation of power and checks and balances. Together, those two ideas are going to combine to help prevent tyranny. And I really think you're going to see the word tyranny in one of these exams somewhere. (laughs) It always pops up or the idea of being tyrannical. If you're wondering how to spell that word, T-Y-R-A-N-N-Y, tyranny, basically meaning somebody is a really bad, evil ruler, if I had to put that in simplest definitions. But on top of that, we have Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And I think I'm going to let Miss Sullivan explain the social contract. Social contract basically states, because uh, you have to think, these ideas are pretty radical for an absolute monarch to be hearing. So Rousseau is basically saying, like, chill out. We don't want to run naked through the streets killing people. We simply want you to respect our basic idea and will respect the idea of law and order. Great. Um, if you're following along on the review sheet, I would make a little bracket with the three bullets of John Locke, Baron de Montesquieu, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Pointing to the left, and in that space under 10.2, here is what I would fill in, and it's exactly what Miss Sullivan said. People have the right to rebel if the government does not protect their rights. What's the saying? Isn't there something about, like, switching from, like, subjects to citizens? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, people change from being subjects under a king to citizens who can participate in government. A subject has no political say or authority in anything. Yeah. Oftentimes, these people who try to take away your natural rights were called are referred to as autocrats on oh. the regent's exam. A u t o c r a t autocrats or later authoritarian leaders. Wow. Mm. Now, for those of you who don't know Miss Sullivan, can I can I say you're a proclaimed feminist? Sure. Great. We're gonna <laughs> test her feminist knowledge. Miss Sullivan, can you please tell me everything you know about Mary Wollstonecraft? Well, I can I can basically tell you that here's this woman who comes along and is like, hey guys, these are really cool ideas, natural rights, but hey, what about us ladies? So she basically crafted a was it an essay or a book? I think it was a pamphlet. A pamphlet, okay? Basically a declaration of the rights of women, essentially, saying like, hey, don't forget about us ladies. We want the same thing you guys have. And her big way to remember the ladies was to basically provide them with education. She said the only reason women are behind in society is because they are not provided an education. If you give us that ability, then hey, we can keep up with any man. Yeah, and these ideas are going to lead to an idea called an enlightened despot. So because Mary Wollstonecraft believed natural rights belong to both men and women, we have these new ideas that are starting to spread. All right, and in, in our classrooms, we like to say that these types of ideas are like the flu. Because once one person catches them, they seem to spread pretty fast. And underneath an enlightened despot, we have this definition. It's an absolute monarch that used enlightenment ideas in their policies. So they made laws that made natural rights available to most most of their subjects. And one of the most famous rulers to do this, another woman, one Kathy. One of my favorites. You like Kathy? She's one of my favorite people in history. You believe Kathy. all like, the stories about her like letting her like other friends? Nope. Know? Those were actually made up about her after Are she they? died because um, a, lo- a whole bunch of people in the royal court. Her? Yeah, exactly. They didn't like her power and they didn't like that she was kind of this outsider. So they made up these stories about her to deride her. Is that the word I would use? Drag her name through the mud. Yes, to destroy her 
legacy. To, to they didn't work. Legacy. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Catherine the Great did have, didn't was known to be. I mean, she was promiscuous. She she had a actually a personal assistant. Side note, who knew her type and would go out into the street to find these men who were her type to bring them home for the night or for a month. And as soon as Catherine the Great was over him, she would give him a piece of land out in the middle of nowhere and say, "Peace out, John. It's been real." You know, I bet she would have really liked Tinder. <laughs> she would have. She would have <laughs> loved. She probably invented Tinder. You know, I gotta say, they'd probably have their own special app for, like, Absolute Monarch Tinder. <laughs> what would be a good name for that? I don't know. The they... King of Queens? That's what I would call that app. That would be a good app. Alright. Anyways, Kathy the Great, she is considered one of the enlightened despots who puts enlightenment ideas in her rule. Here's what she does. She creates a new code of laws based on enlightenment ideas, but... To put even more detail on that, what she's going to do is expand the rights of women under her rule. She's going to allow for further education, allow for social mobility. The right to own property. The right to own property, and that's pretty much good. She will also take the first smallpox vaccine in Russia just to prove that science is advanced and people should not she be afraid of it. She got the shot? She got the shot as a, as to prove to just her people. talking about so her vaccination a kosher topic? Oh, it better be. We Everybody should be vaccinated. Oh, good. I didn't know if we could say that on public radio. Another side out about Catherine the Great <laughs> is when she birthed the heir to the throne, her crazy mother-in-law actually scooped the baby right out from her, took the baby away from her for a full week to show the baby off to the royal court while Catherine lay there in her own blood. And while she was laying there for a week, that's when she started reading guys like John Locke. And Montesquieu, and realizing so she needed to mother. be an enlightened despot. No Just kidding. saying. Yeah, it that's sounds why. like my mother after birth. Like, <laughs> after Mrs. Monaco gave birth, she held up my first daughter like Simba on top of a rock. <laughs> I can see her doing that. You can't use that for outside information, but it's just a little something about me. Hey, the causes of the French Revolution. And I think we can all agree that this is great stuff for outside information, multiple choice, essay writing. So much of this is worthwhile information, but let's get into the causes. Normally, the causes of the French Revolution are broken down into three sections. Political causes, social causes, economic causes. We'll start with the political causes. And if you are somebody who gets confused about the term political, I like to think of it as just the word government. And if political causes help make the French Revolution, we have to think, what was wrong with the government? Well... The most basic answer is that they were overspending. The second most basic answer, which I've also found to be the answer to a multiple choice question, the government is not meeting the needs of the people. And already off the bat, if the government is not meeting the needs of the people, what did John Locke say we can do? Overthrow. Overthrow them. Get them out of there. The second cause, the social causes. You'll find that in France during this time period, they were split up into a social pyramid. There was not much social mobility, and inside of that social pyramid, there was only three sections. What were those three sections, Miss Sullivan? Our three estates, and by social pyramid, do you mean social hierarchy? Woo! Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> there is a regent's word. For you. <laughs> it's a good word to know, though. Yeah, a social hierarchy where we're going to be splitting the pyramid up. The smallest population with the greatest amount of wealth will be at the top followed directly by the second and third estate. The first estate were the clergy, or the people who worked for the church. The second estate are landowners, also known as... 
Oh, nobles. Sorry. Oh, uh, we're going to get to them. Sorry, oh. guys. Just just checked out for a second. It's all right. Miss Sullivan was being bougie. <laughs> oh! Nobody? Is this thing on? <laughs> Mrs. Monaco and myself are talking about the meaning of drippy today. Do your kids say drippy? No, uh, probably they do. I'm just not cool anymore, Mr. Monaco. I understand. You've reproduced. <laughs> <laughs> and the third estate is everyone else. But there is one thing that distinguishes the third estate from the first and second. They had one major responsibility that did not have to be burdened by the other two. What am I referring to? Taxes. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here to carry this. I just need a second voice so people don't get sick of me. <laughs> I was this literally just looking at Mr. Monica like, what was that responsibility? Oh yeah, the thing that made them the most angry. Having to pay 100% of the taxes while nobody else did. And of course, that directly affects our third cause economic causes. The third estate was so poor and also on top of that had to deal with bad harvest and famine that we had, uh, what were they called? Bread riots? Bread riots. Is they that right? right? Go right to bakeries and toss around the flour and attack the bakers. Who It real? was totally out of their control. They couldn't help that the price of flour skyrocketed. Yeah, but they were making food. Right. Right? Wouldn't you be pissed? I always thought that I like living in a country where even if I was homeless, I could just go to Wegmans. <laughs> totally just like stand in the bulk food and use a clean bathroom yeah it'd be great oh you want to get into some main characters following I think the French it's Revolution? important to just go back to political causes real quick though especially in regards to historical context or historical Ooh. circumstances is we have to think what what it's not like one day the French people were like hey let's revolt right causes happen for a reason and the two major causes are two events going on number one the enlightenment which are all those people that we just talked about, John Locke Montesquieu, basically saying, hey, people, you don't have to be treated like crap. You can do something about this. And in across the ocean, you had the American Revolution going on, which actually served as an example for the French people. If these chumpy Americans can overthrow the most, <laughs> the most powerful empire in the world, then the French people can overthrow their drunk absolute monarch who's wearing heels three days a week and is getting drunk with people's money you don't so <laughs> so to them that was considered uh those those examples served as a as like a inspiration that's good so if you're looking for another political cause we could write in the enlightenment and or enlightenment historical figures. context or circumstances yeah those are the big words mm -hmm. i'm misspeaking here i'm being too simple <laughs> which is what i do after the next two people, we're going to cut off this section of the podcast. This will be the first chapter, first episode, mm, before mm -hmm. we move on to one of my favorite time periods in all of history, and also what I believe to be one of the causes of all modern day issues, the Man. Industrial Revolution. Mm, I was going to say nationalism, but oh, yes, Industrial uh, Revolution too. That's why we're all going to die, mm -hmm. or live to be 100, who knows. <laughs> Anyways, let's get on to the following people you have to know about inside of the French Revolution. After the French Revolution successfully overthrows the monarchy, we have two people who come into power in this order. The first, Maximilien Robespierre. He's going to be the leader of the Reign of Terror, the person who is famous for using which device? The guillotine. Guillotine? Mm -hmm. Guillotine? If you're looking at how to spell that, I think it's like G-U-I-L-L. The Willotine. G-U-I-L-L-O-T-I-N-E? Sounds about right. Sure. Not to me. Anyways, you stick a guy's head through a hole and then they chop it off. The guillotine. <laughs> I believe he had 10,000 deaths on his hand. Is that right? 
I think that's the statistic. Yeah, 10,000 deaths. For sure. Now, for CSAT kids, this is a great enduring issue here on human rights. Or my students may see a thematic on human rights. But the reign of terror is a great example of a human rights violation. Yeah, he's going to execute thousands of people during a time period known as the reign of terror. He's also going to limit opposition to the no, to the new quote-unquote republic. Mm. Is this the Declaration of the Rights of Man, too? Uh, the Declaration of Rights of Man and Citizen was written before this. But interestingly, under Maximilian Robespierre, you could actually go to the guillotine for not referring to someone as Citizen Monaco or Citizen Sullivan. If you called somebody my Mr. Monaco or Miss Sullivan, that could actually get you sent straight to the guillotine. Well, in that case, well, actually, all my kids just say Mr. or Miss. Usually, mm. no. Well, no you better call them Citizen now. Citizen. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then the last one, a major political figure, Napoleon Bonaparte. It's my favorite kind of ice cream. <laughs> Only the strawberry. <laughs> Only the strawberry. Uh, he is going to bring stability back to France. He's also going to expand his empire. He will wage war against France's neighbors. Unfortunately, though, he's going to make a major mistake. Something similar to Adolf Hitler. What does he do? Invades Russia. In the middle of winter. What are you doing, guys? Mm. What are you, nuts? You can't do that. Eventually, it's going to lead to absolute monarchies coming back into power for a short period before democracy pretty much takes control. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the uh, the meeting? Uh, the Congress of Vienna. Oh, God, everybody always forgets that. Ugh. Congress of Vienna, where absolute monarchs come back in control for a little bit. But this has been our first 25 minutes. Oh. Wait, can we do two things about Napoleon Bonaparte? Is yeah, he spreads democracy and he spreads the ideas of nationalism. Without him, really, these ideas of democracy would not have spread throughout Europe. And people all over Europe after him started getting their heads cut off. One other thing I want to say about Napoleon, but I can't Is remember. it the Napoleonic Code? Ooh, no, but that's a good one. Yeah, that's a code of law that exhibited tolerance, spread uh, enlightenment ideas, mm. made him a man of the people for a short while. And actually, I just remember Mr. Monaco mentioned that Napoleon brought stability to France, which is important to know because he became an absolute monarch again. So after 10 years of trying to overthrow their absolute monarch, people didn't really care that Napoleon became an absolute monarch again because, again, mamas could feed their babies. They couldn't feed their babies when, when the revolution started. Napoleon stabilized and helped them feed their babies, and people are cool with that. That was good. Are we ready? Yeah, we're good. All right, we're going to end our first episode right here. We're going to be picking up with, oh, well, we do have a couple more revolutions. Should we finish with that and then go on to OVB and nationalism? Yeah, I feel like we tricked them. They were ready to end, so. Yeah, we'll end and we'll pick up with other revolutionaries. Yeah, that's good. All right, we'll see you guys in the next episode.